John chapter 6 is where we are this morning. In Sunday school hour, we talked about having a missions heart like Jesus and understanding that the world has a great need. They have a need for Christ, and we talked about that, that those who are outside of Christ, who are... Uh, who have never been saved, that they are, as we heard a moment ago, the enemies of God, separated by God, dead in trespasses and sins, in bondage to sin, ensnared by the devil, and that they have a need to be delivered. We understand that the deliverance that they can have is found only in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and through his gospel. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And we realize that and we talk about that, but sometimes the the aspect that we don't necessarily like to address is the reality that in order for these people to hear the gospel, in order that they might be saved, someone has to bring them the message, how shall they hear without a preacher, and that's what you and I are for. We are the servants of the Lord. The Bible calls us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it calls us ambassadors for Christ. Now then, are we ambassadors for Christ? We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. That is what we are. We are to bring the gospel to people. In Sunday school, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, where it talked about the, the condition of people, you know, that are taken captive by, by the devil at his will. They're ensnared. But prior to that, the chapter deals with the servant of the Lord. And in fact, I, I had really prayed about just talking about being a, the servant of the Lord this morning, but the Lord kind of maybe directed us a little bit differently. But the idea is this. There's a statement in there. It says that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. So you take that and kind of parse it out. The servant of the Lord must be. Think about that for a moment. If we are going to be what God... If people are going to hear the gospel and be saved, it's going to require that we as his servants be that we would be separated, that we would be purged, that we would be holy, that we would seek after God, that we would be faithful in all these things that we could talk about. But really, I think it could all be summed up this morning by saying God needs or, or is looking for some true disciples, true followers of Christ who will be his servants on this earth. So here we are in John chapter 6, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. It's a lengthy chapter, but we're going to kind of get an overview of it this morning. I want to just look at the first two verses here. It says, And after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And notice this, And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. A great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased. Now, if we were to read the next portion of this chapter, we come to the place where Jesus goes up into a mountain and there's a great company of people, 5,000 men beside women and children, and there's, there's nothing to feed them with. They're hungry, and so there's that lad there that brought a lunch. If you remember, he had five loaves and two small fishes and Jesus took that food and he divided it and they, they passed it out and you know the story. By the end of it, there was more left over than what they started with and it was a great miracle that Jesus did, an incredible thing that he did. I would have loved, my, my, uh, one of my boys was asking me about that just the other day about, you know, why did, what did they do with the, the 12 baskets of bread that were left over? 
And we, you know, kind of came up with these ideas. Well, maybe they gave it to the poor. Maybe they did this. I said, I, I think he probably had to bring it home to his mom, you know. <laughs> Son, I sent you out with five loaves and two small fishes. Where'd you get these 12 baskets of bread, you know? Did he steal it? Oh, you should have seen what Jesus did today, Mom. Amen. You know? Pretty incredible. So that happens here in John chapter 6. The multitude followed him because they saw the miracles, and now they've experienced it personally. Well, then look down, if you would, please, to verse number 24. When the people, therefore, saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me. Listen to this. Not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. These people are seeking after Jesus, supposedly. They're seeking after fulfillment and satisfaction. And Jesus has just revealed to them, I am all that you need. But look down a few more verses, if you would, toward the end of the chapter. Look at verse number 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They found what they needed, but it wasn't what they were really looking for. And so they left. And I would say to you that these people, though they were disciples, they were followers, and to some degree of Christ, they were not true disciples of Christ. So this morning I want to talk to you from this chapter about what it means to be a true disciple of Christ. You could ask yourself the question, am I a true disciple of Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the glorious truth of the gospel of grace and salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, which you've made known to us through your word. And now, Lord, you Seek to draw us closer to yourself and to conform us to your image through your word. And this morning as we open it, I pray that you would open our eyes. Give us understanding. 
Lord, help us to rightly divide the word of truth this morning and not to just be forgetful hearers, but Lord, doers of the word of God. May we appropriate these things to our lives today that we might be more like Christ. I pray that we as your people would be challenged and convicted if we have areas of need, and certainly we all do, Father, in regard to being true, committed disciples of Christ. And if there be some here who are not saved, they've never been born again, I pray that today through the preaching of your word that they would come to understand that Christ is all that they need and that they would be saved. But Lord, be honored, be glorified in your house today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we talk about the subject of being a disciple, a true disciple of Christ, I think it's important for us to to understand and, and understand what the Bible really teaches about this. Because as you read through uh, the, the New Testament especially, there are certain passages of Scripture that deal with being a disciple that might cause you to scratch your head a little bit. Because we understand that the Bible teaches that salvation is the free gift of God, that it's not of works, that it's by grace through faith. And yet Jesus spoke of being a disciple and the cost associated with being a disciple. He, he talked about how you need to count the cost. He, he talked about how you need to take up the cross and daily follow him and all of these things. And sometimes people might get confused in their mind. Is there a, is there a cost to my salvation? We need to understand that salvation, being saved, being born again, is the free gift of God. There is nothing that you could ever do that would earn your way to God. We are, without Christ, we are separated from God. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And there is no salvation in our own good works. The, the best that we could do is filthy rags in the eyes of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God... Not of works, the Bible says in Ephesians 2. It tells us in Titus 3, in verse number 5, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. And so when we talk about salvation, we must understand that it is absolutely free to us because it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can be saved today at no cost to yourself Simply come to Christ in faith and understand that you're a sinner, that, that, that your sin is keeping you separated from God and, and that you need forgiveness, you need deliverance from that sin and turn to Christ and place your faith in Him alone and He will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's free. However, when you get saved, when you become a child of God, you are invited into a relationship with Christ in which Christ calls us to be committed disciples, committed followers of Christ. The word disciple means to be, it, it means one who follows in obedience, one who walks in the footsteps, one who lives like the person that they are following, a disciple. Jesus commands us and calls us to, to walk as He walked and to follow Him. And I want to say to you this morning that there are many people who would love to, to receive the blessings that God offers, but they really don't want to pay the price of being a true disciple. That was the issue here in John chapter 6. We, the, the chapter opens with these words, after these things, and 
that obviously refers then to the previous things that happened as Jesus was, he had just healed a man who had been lame for, for many years and, and on the Sabbath day it caused a big problem, but, but he healed this man and after these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee and a great multitude followed him. Now we often equate that with, you know, the work of the Lord. You know, boy, God is at work in that place. Why? Well, because they have great crowds of people showing up. Did you know that having a great multitude of people doesn't necessarily mean that God is there and at work there? Multitudes followed him, but why were they following? Well, it says right here, because they saw his miracles, which he did. I mean, there was something different about this. Who sees miracles? <laughs> you have to remember, before the, the time of Christ and before the birth of Christ, there, I mean, Israel had, had gone through a, a long period of drought. They hadn't had prophets. They hadn't had, I mean, God wasn't speaking. God wasn't really, I mean, he was at work, but it was kind of behind the scenes, you know. They, they weren't seeing this in their lives. And so for generations, Israel hadn't experienced someone with the power of God. And, and here Jesus comes along and he's, he's making a, a, a big scene everywhere he goes. You know, People are being healed and, and lives are being changed and people are being touched. And there's something special about Jesus. And so people want to come and see what's going on. Who wouldn't want to be involved in that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? There's something exciting when we see the work of God taking place. We're drawn to it. But these people were drawn not as committed followers of Christ. They were drawn as spectators. They, 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 they could see, they could sense that God was in this, that there was something special about Jesus. And so they, they just wanted to come and see. They saw the miracles which he did, so they, they followed him. And the truth is that there are many people even that sit in churches like this one who may even be saved. But they're really just kind of spectators. Yeah, they want to see God at work. They want to see great things happening. But they can't be bothered to be part of that. They just, they just want to kind of come and sit and see the work of God and, and see others serving the Lord. And, 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 and yeah, they're hopeful that something special is going to happen in that. But they're just kind of spectators. That's what these people were doing initially. But then something happened because this multitude of people that followed him, well, they were hungry, and he took basically nothing, and he filled them with it. So now they haven't just seen a miracle. They themselves personally have experienced the work of God in their lives, and now they're really interested so Jesus then departs and he goes, goes over the sea there and, and the people decide, boy, we need, we need to find Jesus again. We need to seek Jesus. Where did he go? Well, he, he went to Capernaum and, and they, they went there looking for him. And when they found him, they said, whence comest thou hither? Verse 25, Jesus answered them and said, verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me. Not because he saw the miracles. In other words, you're no longer spectators. Not because you've seen the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. You have experienced now the work of God and the power of God in your life. But then notice what he says here in verse 27. Labor not for the meat which perisheth. 
In other words, the real reason that you are following me is not because you recognize that I am the Son of God and you're just committed to being my disciples and following me, but you've gotten a taste of what I can do for you. And you're hopeful that if you hang around me, your life is going to be better. The problem is that you're following because you're selfish. You want me to bless you. You want me to do things for you, but you're missing the whole point. You're laboring for temporal things, the, the, you know, material blessings, things of this world, and you're just missing the point altogether. I mentioned in the Sunday school hour that my family and I spent most of last year, uh, 2020, we, we spent it in Liberia, West Africa. Liberia is one of the, the poorest countries in the world. And, I mean, it's, I don't even know if it'd be considered third world, you know. In some places, it's probably more like fourth world. It's, it's rough. It's really rough. But the people there kind of have this, there, there's a lot of religion. Missionaries have been there for a long time, and, and we could go into the false doctrine that's promoted there and things. They, they have that, it's that they, they have a semblance of Christianity, but the the true gospel is very covered and clouded by uh, health and wealth type preaching and, and things like that. But the idea is, is this, as you drive down the road in Monrovia, the capital city of Liberia, you will see on the back of almost every taxi, they've got these little um, motor trike type deals, they call them KKs, they decorate them all up, you know, uh, businesses, you know, these little tin shacks that, where someone's maybe selling some rice or something like that. On the side of all these things, you'll see these names, you know, God's Blessing Business Center, or, you know, I Love Jesus, all these different things. But it's not necessarily that the people who are doing that are committed followers of Christ. It's almost this idea that if I, if I put the name of God on my business, then God has to bless my business. You know, if I give him lip service, and, and I really think it stems from this idea, you know, years ago, generations ago, they were, they were steeped in ancestral worship and that kind of thing, and, and that, that mindset of we have to appease the gods, doing certain things to appease the spirits so that they'll send rain and, you know, our, our wives will have children and those types of things. That's just kind of been transferred over and give, been given a Christian face, you know. We'll include Jesus in on this, and then he's got to bless me. Do you know a lot of people live their lives that way, even right here in America? Even in our churches? Yeah, I want God's blessings on my life. I, I, I want to live a good life. I want God to take care of me. So, so I'm going to come to church. I'm going to be faithful. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to be a disciple. But really, the reason, my motivation for being a disciple is in hopes that I can get something out of it. And honestly, and, and I told you this morning just how thankful I am for the the blessing of salvation and the things that God does for us. I'm thankful that I have a home in heaven when I die. But I think we need to be careful even when it comes to preaching the gospel and giving the gospel that it doesn't become too man-centric, you know? Come to Christ because of everything He can do for you. Instead of understanding that the reason we need to be saved is because there's a holy God in heaven who created us and He's worthy 
of, of honor and glory and we as human beings are separated from him because of sin and we need to be delivered from that sin that we can be restored into fellowship with our creator, you know? It's not just about me and what I can get out of it. But we, we, get, we have to be careful about that because so many people want to follow Christ with this idea, I want to get something, I want to gain something. Well then, when we're confronted with this idea that there's a cost to discipleship, that it might actually cost me something to be fully committed, that I, it, it, my life may not turn out quite the way that I imagined it would. No, Jesus, that's too much for me. I can't help but wonder, honestly, the, the need is greater than it's ever been. I mentioned in Sunday school, almost 8 billion people in the world today. And yet, and this is nothing personal against anyone, but I know personally, Pastor, maybe, maybe your experience is different. I know more missionaries coming off the field than going to the field. I'm not seeing people, I'm not seeing young men surrendering to preach, surrendering to go to the mission field or to pastor. I'm not, it's just not, not like it used to be. It's, it's fewer and fewer all the time, and I can't help but think that some of it might just be because we're afraid. If I give my life to Christ and let Him do with me what He wants to do, if I just surrender my life to Him, it's going to cost me something, and I don't want to pay that price. Because I'm only willing to go as far as it makes me comfortable, and I get what I want. Notice here, in verse 28, they said, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus said unto them, This is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. In other words, you need to believe on me. Look at verse 30. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Now that may not seem like a strange question if I hadn't read the previous parts of the chapter. What sign showest thou then? The very reason you were following me in the first place is because you saw the miracles. And now the reason that you come seeking me is because you've personally experienced the miracles in your own life. You see, it wasn't that Jesus had not done enough to convince them that he was the Son of God and was worth believing in and following. It was that they were looking for something that he wasn't offering. Notice... Verse 31, our fathers did eat manna in the desert. Hey, Jesus, you know, you fed us yesterday. And that was good. But, you know, our fathers, when they were wandering in the wilderness, I mean, they were, they were fed manna every day. Again, I don't think they read their Bibles because their fathers didn't really like that manna all that much after a few days. You know, they got kind of sick of it. But it, it, that's almost what they're saying to him. Jesus, what are you going to give us? What are you going to do for us? What are you going to do for me? He said in verse 32, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. What is he saying? You're missing the point. The manna that God sent in, in the wilderness, 
That bread that was prepared, you know, angel's food as the Bible calls it, that was prepared by the hand of God and sent down from heaven, it was a daily material blessing, but that's not all it was. It was a picture, it was a symbol that God will provide your needs. And if he can meet your need in the wilderness by daily sending you food, this was the symbol, one day there is true bread coming down from heaven that you won't have to go out every morning and gather it fresh. Because if you'll, the bread of life which cometh down from heaven, he that believeth on me shall never hunger. I mean, that's what he, that's what he said. You know, if you'll, if, you'll be, if, if you'll accept Christ, you'll find that that I'm all you need. They're looking for something that doesn't satisfy. They had eaten the bread the day before, but guess what? They were hungry again. Isn't it interesting that the things of the world that we go seeking for never fully satisfy? I mean, the world that doesn't know Christ, they don't know any better, but we even as Christians can do this sometimes where... You know, it's, we try and find our happiness, our fulfillment in material things. I've got to get a new car. I want a new car so bad. I want, and then we get that car, and it's like a few weeks, it's really cool, and then it's, man, I really want a bigger house, you know? We work for a while, and we get that, and we buy the bigger house, and, well, I want furniture to go in this house, a big screen TV, and, you know, I need a new phone or whatever. And you know what we find? Maybe ladies' shoes. I don't know. I don't get that so much, but... Guys, guns, I get that one a little bit more, you know. Whatever it is, things that we like, things that we want, and we go after those things. And you know what we find? They satisfy for a very short time. It's like scratching an itch that just keeps coming back. It's like sitting down to a meal and eating food and walking away saying, I'm satisfied now, and then a few hours later, you're hungry again. And this is what Jesus is likening this to. He says, listen, you're, you're laboring for bread that perishes. It, it, it goes away. And listen, it may not be material things. It might be relationships that you're pursuing. It might be success that you're pursuing or position or power. I don't know what it is. I'm just saying that there are people in the world that are trying to fill a, a void in their life. And it, they fill it temporarily and it keeps coming empty again. Because it's meat that perishes. And if you're looking for fulfillment, if you're looking for satisfaction in anything but Christ, you will always find it's empty. It's vain. I don't care how great that thing is. If you're looking for fulfillment in your spouse, you're not going to find it there. If you're looking for fulfillment in a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, friendships, children, whatever it might be, you won't find it there. Not long term. These people were laboring for meat that perished. They, they were looking for Jesus to do something for them. And by the way, those, okay, they're not spectators, but they are selfish. They, they're wanting to fulfill their own needs. Why are they not willing? I mean, Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to hate your father and mother and your, your brethren and your children and, and even your own life. And he's not saying, you know, I've, I've got to turn my back on everyone and ignore everyone and just despise everyone that I know and love. 
What he's saying is, I've got to be more important than anything else in your life. Why do people not want to do that? Why, why do people not want to embrace the cross? Because what they're really seeking after are things that they're afraid, if I follow Jesus, it's going to cost me these things. And I don't want, I'm not willing to let go of these things. Their problem is they're seeking the wrong thing. And so as Jesus is teaching them this, and he's, he, he deals with, and, and throughout the next several verses, he talks about the, this issue of being the bread of life and, and coming to him as the Father has drawn us and, and uh, all of these things. And then we come to chapter verse 66, and it says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. People said, No, Jesus, that's too, that's too much. I was hoping you'd do this for me, but you didn't quite meet that need. Now you're asking me to, to give of myself. I, I, I think I'll go find my satisfaction somewhere else. Many of his disciples went back, but then look at verse 67. Then, G, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Here, here are, I mean, they've, they've left all and followed him, right? They've left behind their families, their businesses, their, I mean, everything. They're following Jesus. But he turns. And that was kind of, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, sometimes we look at the multitudes and we think, well, God must be at work there. Do you know Jesus isn't necessarily seeking multitudes? I mean, Jesus could have had mega churches if he wanted. But he really invested his life in 12 men. Because along the way, as a multitude would follow him, he'd stop and kind of test their discipleship. How committed are you really? Oh, I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus says, well, the foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Luke chapter 9. If you follow me, you may not know where that's going to lead you from one day to the next. And a lot of people don't like that. We like the stability. We like to be in control of our life. We like to control our own destiny. And it can be a scary thing to just sign a blank check and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Lead me, guide me, direct me, do with me what you want to do. And so Jesus would, would put these tests before people and they would leave and they would go away. So now he turns to the 12 and he says, what about you? And I think we could maybe make that personal today. And say, what about me? What would it take? What, what price would be too high? What would it take that, that God would require of me if I'm going to be a true disciple of Christ that, that I would say, no, that's enough for me. But look at the response of Peter. Verse 68, then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, I love this, to whom shall we go? Jesus, what are you talking about? Where else are we going to go? And then he says, Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know what Peter is really saying here? This is very profound. We're not going anywhere because we've found exactly what we were looking for. You see, as long as we clamor after the things that this world can offer, we'll always find ourselves coming up short. You read the book of Ecclesiastes, and Solomon talks about 
about the vanity of life. But if we're seeking after that which satisfies, there's one answer, Jesus Christ. And when you find Him, you find all that you need. And if you found all that you need, there really is no price that's too high. What's it going to cost me? A little bit of temporal things that are going to perish anyway? No, I found the one that satisfies every need. I found the bread from heaven. And when I, when I partaken of the bread of heaven, what did I find? That he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And I find full satisfaction. Now we see the satisfied disciple. There's the spectators and the selfish, but the satisfied, those are the ones who are following because they realize that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the only one that satisfies. And listen to me, if you find Jesus, you find it all. If you, find, if, if you, when, if you have Christ, you know what you learn? He's all you really need. So it might seem strange, you know, this is Missions Emphasis Month. What does this have to do with missions? Well, everything, really. Because the need of the world around you is Christ. That's the bread that satisfies. They don't realize that that's what they're looking for, but the emptiness that they have is Christ, and it can only be fulfilled with Christ But for you and I, we are the servants, we're the ambassadors, we're the ones who've been commissioned and called and, and, and sent to this world. And so often we neglect that duty because we feel the price is too high. But if we believe that the price of serving God is too high, maybe the problem is that we're really looking for the wrong thing. Maybe what we really need to be seeking is Him. Him alone. Lord, I just want You. I, I don't know if you remember back in the book of Exodus. In fact, why don't we go back there. Exodus chapter 33. I hadn't planned on going there, but... Exodus The Lord has brought Israel out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness now. He's promised to bring them into a land that's flowing with milk and honey. A, a land of blessing. A land of plenty. The promised land. Canaan. But as Moses was there on Mount Sinai getting the word from the Lord and receiving the commandments there, the people, as they were often wont to do, would... They, they turned to idolatry and they made a golden calf and began to worship that. And the Lord was ready to just kill them until Moses interceded for them. And verse, uh, chapter 33 and verse number 1, it says, The Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee. And will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey, 
Now, if we stop there, that sounds pretty good. Okay, Lord, you're fulfilling this promise. We get to go into the promised land, and you're even going to send your angel before us to just make the way. We don't have to lift a finger. Everyone else in the land is just going to go, and we're going to walk right into the blessings of God. But he didn't stop there. He said, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Moses, you go ahead, take this people to the promised land. I cannot go with you. You're too rebellious. Look at verse number 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Listen to this. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Lord, if you really, if your grace is really with me, here's one thing that I request. I want to know you. We could talk a long time about that, but he said, verse 14, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And verse 15, and he said, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Do you realize what Moses is saying? God said, Go into the promised land. You'll, find, you'll have your own land. You'll have your own property. Every family will have their own place. You can have your farms. In fact, everything... Go live in houses that someone else built. Go eat the fruit of vineyards that have already been planted. I mean, it's all there. Just walk in. Everything's provided. Go. I'll even send my angel before you. And Moses says, wait a minute. If you're not going with us, we're not going. I'd rather live in the wilderness in the presence of God than in the promised land without him. See, Moses figured something out. Life isn't all about the material things and what I want and what I feel. Life is all about Him. And once I found Him, nothing else could ever satisfy. So, Lord, I want Your presence above all else. That, that really is the heart of a disciple. Lord, just whatever You want, because I want You. Amen. And nothing else that I could ever desire could ever come close to comparing to my desire for You. You're the bread. You're, you're the son of God. You're the one that has the words of eternal life. And where else am I going to go? So my question to you this morning is, are you a true disciple of Christ? Are you, are you, maybe you're a spectator. Maybe you're just here. Maybe you sense that you know, God is here. And I, I hope that that's the case, that you came in here this morning and, and can sense that the, the Lord is here and the people here love the Lord and and, and want to serve him. And maybe you're just here. You kind of want to be part of that. And that's okay. I'm glad that you're here. But I, I do want you to know that nothing here in this place, no person here, no church could ever meet your needs or fulfill you. But if you'll turn to Christ, he has everything you need. He's the answer that you've been looking for. Maybe you're not a spectator. Maybe you yourself are saved and, and you've experienced personally the, the work of the Lord in your life and bringing you to salvation. But maybe you're still kind of living as a selfish disciple. You'll go far enough with the Lord. Just, just 
far enough that you can experience some of the blessings, but trying to insulate yourself from some of the cost. And I just want to say to you that if that's you this morning, you're missing out. Because once you find Christ, you'll find He's all that you need. Once, once you make Him your life's pursuit, you'll find all that you need in Him. You'll find satisfaction. Peter said, I've got nowhere else to go, Lord. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Have you found that bread from heaven? And if so, are you willing to say, Lord, whatever, whenever, wherever, I am your disciple. So long as your presence goes with me, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. I know that I need this message as much as anyone else here because it's easy to get distracted by the things of this world and by our own personal desires and plans for our lives. But would you help us, Lord, to remember that all that we need, we have in Christ. Help us, Lord, to be willing to surrender and give our lives over to you and be committed, true disciples of Christ for the glory of God. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.